0: Ultrasound Gel Podcast.
1: Ultrasound Gel Podcast. Hello, and welcome to Ultrasound Gel Podcast. My name is Craig Bolger, and I'm here with Jacob Avila and Mike Pratts. Today, we are talking poop. This is an article on the accuracy of an abdominal ultrasound for the diagnosis of small bowel obstruction in the emergency department. I know it's sad, but I get really excited about this. Poop waterfalls make me happy. Same. So this was published in 2018 in the World Journal of Emergency Medicine. So why do ultrasound for bowel obstruction? Bowel obstruction it's probably one of the easiest ultrasounds to do. When you pop the a probe on the belly and you don't see air, what you're seeing there usually is fluid-filled bowel and that's your bowel obstruction. Um, there's not a lot of things that mimic it. There's not a lot of things that um, are normal that you're going to see in place of it. And a lot of times these people aren't coming in for the first time with a bowel obstruction. This is their second, third, fourth, fifth, fifteenth bowel obstruction. and one or two cat scans no big deal 15 to 20 cat scans big deal because you have to think they're probably getting them in between their actual occurrences of bowel obstruction because of their past medical history so how can we make them not glow in the dark we can do ultrasound Um, we can expedite time usually the time to perform these scans is two to three minutes um, which you haven't even got the bottle of cat scan prep to their bedside um, another benefit is they don't have to have that bottle of cat scan prep when they can't keep anything in their stomach. Oh,
0: man, oral contrast is the worst. It's the worst. the worst.
1: And so, let's. This article says, how good is this ultrasound thing we talk about for diagnosing bowel obstruction in the emergency department?
2: So this was performed as a retrospective, single centered cohort study in a large tertiary academic center. So they don't mention what software they use, uh, but they record all of their ultrasound images that were performed in the ED and they reviewed it on a weekly basis, which I think you guys, I'm sure, have a weekly QA because I have a weekly QA. Um, And these guys had a weekly QA. So what they did is they identified all of the small bowel obstructions on their ultrasound Um, QA. And they looked between September 2015 and September 2016. Um, So that's how they found the images. And it looks like based off of the data here, it looks like after they identified them on the software on their image review, they went and looked and see uh, to see if they had a CT scan um, done during their visit or at some point at their visit. The ultrasound protocol itself, what they did is they looked at all four quadrants of the abdomen with a curvilinear transducer with a depth around 12 to 18 centimeters. And their diagnostic criteria is they needed to see um, some peristalsis, some still images. They needed to see a uh, some fluid-filled loops that were greater than 2.5 centimeters, and that was their stills, because you know you have to have a still to measure it. And then they were looking for abnormal back and forth peristalsis
1: poo and fro
2: (laughs) poo and fro they're looking for the poo and fro movement of the uh, stool in the uh, bowel um, for their diagnosis now for the ct scan they were considered positive for small bowel obstruction if they were read as small bowel obstruction as partial small bowel obstruction or as early small bowel obstruction um, they had a exclusion criteria. They were excluded if they came from another facility with that CT scan that already had the diagnosis of a small bowel obstruction, which is which is kind of good, I think. Um, so if they already knew the diagnosis um, before they got there, they excluded them. Another thing which was interesting that I thought, uh, because we haven't seen this before, is that they actually included uh, advanced practice practitioners or APPs. They included physician assistants um, as and rollers. So it was physician assistants, residents, ultrasound fellows and ultrasound faculty, all of their scans were included in their final analysis, which I think is good. Um, they also included a couple of other demographic information, such as their age, gender, their previous uh, histories, um, if they'd have any um, surgeries, uh, t- within two weeks of their ED presentation. And then which is kind of big, because this has something to do with uh, external validity, They uh, documented what kind of cancer they have. And I say that because a very large percentage of these patients had cancer, um, active cancer, or a history of cancer um, in their history.
0: I just wanted to add a few things about criteria to diagnose small bowel obstruction because we haven't discussed it too much yet on this podcast. So one thing that they didn't put in their criteria is the TANGA sign. That's another one that's been described where you're seeing some free fluid around those dilated small bowel loops remember that when you're diagnosing it, you also have to first identify that it is the small bowel. And so some ways to do that are to look for the plicae circularis, where you can often, when it's filled with fluid, see them as keyboard sign, where you kind of see fluid between those little divisions in the bowel lumen.
2: Well, I have to say that the tanga sign is not really for diagnosis of a small bowel obstruction. It's just saying that it's worse, a higher grade of a small bowel obstruction,
0: from what I understand it. Yeah. Good point. It's the same as saying like, there's some thickening of the bowel wall or other things that show there's progression of it, but it's something that you can see in small bowel obstruction. Agree. So let's get to the results talking about the patient population here. So mean age of 58, 35% male, 50% of these people had a small bowel obstruction in the past. 86% had a surgery before. 63% had active malignancy.
2: 63%, that's crazy.
0: Yeah, so you can see that this was somewhat of a higher risk population for small bowel obstruction. And overall, 88% of these patients were treated conservatively. Only 12% ended up having surgery. Now, how many patients? Well, 64 had an ultrasound. Remember, they found those on their image review but nine of those had no CT, and eight of those had indeterminate ultrasound findings. Which they uh, excluded, rah. right? Exactly, they just excluded those. That's a little bit unfair. We'll let it slide and we'll...
2: It's cool, uh, it's yeah, cool. Yeah,
0: yeah, We're still friends. <laughs> <laughs> so their ultimate population was 47, on the small side here. Primary outcome, accuracy of point-of-care ultrasound for small bowel obstruction sensitivity 93.8%, specificity 95.2%. Whoa. So we're talking about likelihood ratios of .01 or 14. Not too bad.
1: This is what we need to take to our uh, radiology colleagues who said, you can do an ultrasound for bowel obstruction. What about x-ray?
0: What about x-ray? Get out of here. The initial x-ray
2: obviously did really well in this study as well, didn't it? Yeah. I mean, it, it essentially was no. equivalent to ultrasound. Is that? Did I read that part correctly?
0: Look, x-rays had its time in the sun, and that time is over for small bowel obstruction.
1: The sun has set. So this study
2: demonstrated a sensitivity of x-rays of 46.2% and a specificity of 66.7%. And I don't even know what the likelihood ratios are because I don't care
0: because the sensitivity and specificity were so bad.
1: have a moment of silence for (laughs) x-ray
0: now the other thing that they did with this data was they also the initial data was comparing it to ct but then they said maybe we should expand the standard to to include both ct and a discharge diagnosis and so that allowed them to incorporate a few more patients so with the that 56 patients the accuracy actually got better we're now likelihood ratio of 19.8 or 0.06. The negative likelihood ratio got worse, but positive likelihood ratio got better. So more it was more specific after that. So I mean these are pretty impressive results. Can we take these straight to the patient or do we have to be cautious about it in some way?
2: I think we just have to like put this in the like pot of all the evidence that shows that ultrasound is beneficial.
1: It's an overflowing pot.
0: What's it overflowing with? <laughs> with with poop. Pooh. With poop. <laughs> There
2: was that meta-analysis that was done in academic emergency medicine. I think it was like Martingale or something like that that included, you know, like all the different findings and included ultrasound. Ultrasound was awesome. And there was one uh, this last year, 2018, um, that they actually mentioned in the study. I forget. Do you guys remember who wrote that other meta-analysis that was done like fairly recently? It was uh, Gottlieb. Um, in a uh, American Journal of Emergency Medicine, that all basically say the same thing, which is that you can use it for diagnosis. Now, the the one thing that I should mention, um, which is the the question that I got at a previous institution that I worked at a lot when I used ultrasound for small bowel obstruction, is. Is there a transition point? Because the diagnosis of a small bowel obstruction is important, but arguably another very important feature, or maybe even more important, is what do I do about this small bowel obstruction? Is this something that is going to need surgery, or is this something that's going to need an NG tube? And so our surgeon colleagues, at least in one of the institutions that I worked, were very interested in... Can ultrasound find a transition point? Because a transition point would be able to tell them, is there something that needs to be operatively fixed or not? And as far as I know, ultrasound has not been shown to be uh, very accurate in determining uh, what needs to be done with that small bowel obstruction.
0: Yeah, I don't think it's impossible. Jacob, you and I reviewed one of the abstracts at WCOME, Uh, a couple years ago that they actually did find transition points on ultrasound and found that it was very specific for small bowel obstruction so I don't think that discounts the possibility in the future but I agree that's going to be something that the users of ultrasound for small bowel obstruction come up against differentiating the operative versus the non-operative small bowel obstruction Uh, Realize that this was a pretty small population, and this is retrospective, right? So they only had like 40 or 50 patients, and this was all patients that somebody thought they needed an ultrasound for small bowel obstruction to begin with. So definitely a select population of patients that, as we mentioned, with looking at their comorbidities and their history, they already had a high pretest probability of having a small bowel obstruction. Now, the authors go on to say that they hear your concerns, Jacob, and they are saying maybe patients that are stable have had a history of small bowel obstruction, and then you use ultrasound to diagnose small bowel obstruction. Maybe those select group could be trialed at non-operative therapy. So that's kind of their, their idea. So, I mean, obviously, if they're not super sick or, you know, have some other process going on, then I think that's pretty reasonable. Let me recap this study. This was a retrospective single center cohort study. They ended up having 47 patients where they could compare to a CT standard. The accuracy of point of care ultrasound gave us positive likelihood ratio of 14, negative likelihood ratio 0.01. So I think that the take-home point from this study is that in combination with the existing evidence we're already aware of, this study supports the concept that point-of-care ultrasound can accurately diagnose small bowel obstruction. I would be cautious because this is a small study and has a lot of biases that could affect this data to take these accuracies at face value, but I think that the point is it can help you. All right, well, thanks to the authors for performing this study. Really important and adds to the somewhat limited evidence for ultrasound in small bowel obstruction. And thanks for listening. We're glad to have you with us. You can visit ultrasoundgel.org to find out more information about our podcast. Also, take a look at us on Facebook or Google+, or talk to us on Twitter. We'd love to hear from you. We'll talk to you later. More. for more. Tell more pressure. More gel. More sound gel. Joy I love bowel obstruction.
1: Bowel obstructions.
0: What I wouldn't give to have a bowel obstruction right now.
1: I do. I love poo and fro. It makes me so happy. <laughs>